Hey, I'm Todd Brown, and I make these videos because I want you to rip on race day. All right, well, I'm Todd Brown, and uh, this is the Pedal Industries Race Day Ready podcast, and we have our guest today, Tom Danielson. And Tom, it's great to talk to you live. We yeah, great to chat with you. And, and direct message and things, and it's uh, it's great. Um, so I know somewhat about you, but I'm not sure that everybody else does. It, I'd love it if you give us a little background on, on uh, I guess, start from the beginning. I like, like, like your first bike ride <laughs> to where you are today. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So uh, my background is I was a professional cyclist. Uh, racing the Tour de France, uh, did world tour racing for 15 years, um, retired, uh, my career ended, started a business, ended up being a coaching business it's called Cinch Cycling, um, basically where we help change people's lives through, through the vehicle of cycling. So uh, our business is focused on you know a really holistic approach to cycling, not just the power side, but also um, the health and wellness pursuit, right? The, the self-fulfillment, self-confidence side of it, the learning, uh, and developing as a human being, personal growth side of it, the nutrition side of it. Um, and then the, the, you know, skill and strategy side of it that, uh, really helps us, uh, really enjoy it like a real sport. So that's what, that's what, what I'm doing now. And, um, got into cycling as a kid, pretty much, started in uh, motocross and my parents, I mean, it was just like with anyone, it's really difficult to pursue that sport. And so cycling was introduced to me by a friend in my neighborhood and just got on the bike and kind of, kind of was like motocross, but my physical engine was more than the 80 CC that I was riding with motocross. So just immediately got race results, got into got into racing started how old were you at that point you know that's a good question i think i was probably about 14 okay um i was a little bit later i think like that i could have started but 14 or 15 i think was about when i started and and yeah just just got into it i would say um it came kind of natural and easy in the beginning um you know i i did races as a beginner and did well and that really sparked my passion i guess now that i look back at it maybe more for the wrong reasons but at the time you know being young and stuff like you're you're looking for something to define yourself with and sure. that seemed like a really nice way to do it. it was like hey i'm good at this and as a kid i was really skinny and small and so like as we know cycling that that is, can be helpful sure so it was like you know for all the th reasons why I like didn't have girlfriends and things like that, uh, as a kid was like, was like why I was good at this. So I, I think I liked that and, and, you know, pursued it completely then fell in love with this, with this sport. Uh, yeah. And just pursued it all the way up to the top, which was pretty surreal experience. Um, didn't come easy, the pursuit that's for sure. And, and you know, we'll probably get to that later in this, this podcast, but you know, one of the big parts of my coaching program is, is really teaching people about the importance of, you know, learning, learning the craft and, and really 
uh, taking your time and, you know, your timeline is, 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 is what your timeline is. And I think as a kid, you know, I really was trying to rush that timeline all the time, right? Like I was like, well, I've got to win this race and I've got to win that race and I've got to do this and just created all this like unnatural, um, you know, external or internal stress that I guess I interpreted at the time as external, but was internal. Um, and yeah, ultimately led to a lot of struggles, a lot of poor choices. Uh, and during my career, I ended up, you know, a lot doing in my path to my career, just a lot of tug of war with myself, you know? Uh, and so, you know, looking back at that now as a, as, as a coach and a business owner, I can see, uh, as I look back at my journey, how I can better take people through the same process, uh, learned a lot from my mistakes and, and yeah, take your time, enjoy the journey. You know, you, you've got as much time as, as you're willing to, to put up with. It's very time sensitive sport for sure. Um, so what was, with, was this early racing? Was this in Colorado? Was that where you're from? Did you grow up there? Was it road? Was it mountain? No, I'm, I, I grew up in, in Connecticut, East Lyme, Connecticut. Uh, now it's kind of a little bit of a hot bed, more or less, or hotter bed than it was, uh, lukewarm bed. <laughs> uh, when I when I grew up, there was just uh, three of us riding mountain bikes there. This guy Neil Clausen, Ken Avery, um, and the little kid Jeremy Powers. Uh, he was he was uh, just getting into cycling when we were we were winning races and doing well. And so he was kind of like the first uh, from our our three that like caught the bug of cycling. And he did, he's done a good job of growing it in that area, but he's actually from the same town as I, I am. Uh, we got him into it and taught him, showed him the ropes, spend the time riding with him. And, um, and he's stayed there since so all of us, or I guess I left, uh, Neil Clausen, the guy that really helped me a lot. He's still there. Uh, he owns, he owns a uh, farm. Um, and ironically, like I actually coach a lot of people from my town, um, so it's, it, yeah, grew up in Connecticut, but got out of there, went to Colorado. Um, but it has grown quite a bit since I left. Gotcha. That's cool. So just briefly, how do you transfer from amateur and get to that pro level? Like, is it, is it just a natural progression? Is it a bit of luck? Um, how was it for you, I guess? Yeah. So th this is a good question. And, you know, how do you transfer from amateur to pro? And I deal a lot with this, with my current job, right? Where I'm working with a lot of younger riders who, who are interested in doing that. And I have done that with quite a few riders at this point, which is cool. You've even taken a rider from, you know, cat two to world tour in two years, which was, which was cool. Can you but share the name of the person? I'm going to keep it, keep it quiet. Just, just okay. because, uh, you know, I don't really want to jump all over it, but uh, definitely have built uh, a lot of my program around that particular individual, which was which was a cool journey sure. um, to do that. But the the big thing, the biggest part of, of that journey is really looking at yourself and understanding you who who you are as an amateur, right? Like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then like a job interview, right? Like what do you need to perform at the job? And what I'm seeing with a lot of amateurs is they don't necessarily understand the job, right? So they're looking at the 
pro ranks, they're looking at the world tour, they're looking at, you know, there's whatever cat one upgrade or, or whatever it is. And they're saying, man, I want that. But in order to get the job, you must first understand what you want and what you're going to do in the job, right? Like you have to think about your skills, your ability, and your education, just as you would in the normal world, in the professional world. And what I did, and I stumbled across this in my career, right, was I looked at, I took a step back and I said, well, who am I, right? I'm a climber. And, and at the time I was pursuing mountain bikes. And do I really fit this mountain bike, you know, mold that I'm in right now? Every time I go on a road ride, I rip up these hills and everybody's telling me you got to race on the road. The mountains are on the road. And so when I made the switch that I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to switch to pursuing mountains on road. Immediately. It was like my, 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 what I love to train, what I was good at, what I was the most experienced with climbing, um, immediately kind of fell into a need, which is in professional cycling, which is like mountain top finishes and mountain races and climbing races. And in the road, it's very romantic and it's a big part of that. And when I connected the dots between, okay, I'm a climber, I'm going to focus on climbing and I'm going to be the best climber. Then it was simple or simpler for me to understand that path and where I needed to go. So back to, you know, amateur riders, you got to look and say, and we do this in century, say, what rider type are you? What position do you play in the sport of cycling? And it doesn't have to be road. It can be gravel. It can be mountain bike can be cyclocross, whatever it is, but what are your strengths? And and every person is a rider type. We have four in cinch. We, we Classics TT, which is a lot of people sort of call as like the ruler or whatever. But, you know, I think this Classics TT at Cancellara, if you, if you follow that, um, you know, that time frame or, or you know, cur- um, I'm trying to think who currently would be. Uh, yeah. G- Ghana, he's yeah, he's a classics TT rider. I mean, Wout Van Art is a, a, a classics TT rider. Um, you know, and then you you know you go and you you have your classic sprinter. And I don't really have a pure sprinter in the in the rider types because the days of the pure sprinter, unless you're in the in, you know in the criterium scene and you have a nine person lead out train, that's over, right? Like the days of Cipollini and stuff like this. It's you know you really need to be able to go over climbs and go and breakaways and ride hard selective courses and then sprint. Right. And so the classic sprinter, you know, that's, uh, would even put Cavendish, Cavendish in that, in that place. Right. Cause he's went one game, wave game. He's won a lot of stages in the tour, the Giro, the Walta that have had climbs and, you know, you'd be need to, for me, Tom Boonin falls in that category from, you know, he's one of my favorite riders, um, from that day and age, but, but, uh, classic sprinter, super important. Um, you know, rider type to understand. Then you have the climber. That's pretty obvious. Um, nowadays, the climber is less prevalent, I think, than than we had in the past. Where you know, in the past, like with the Pantanis and stuff like that, where it's like this, just this pure freak show climber. You know, you got this whole team that's literally trying to help you get to the finish line. Nowadays, with the power meters and the, the training technology that we have, just being a pure climber is almost not enough anymore, right? Like you need to be able to do the time trial, the power stuff, the classics, the, the Pagacha, right? These these guys that, you know, Pagacha is essentially kind of comes from a classics TT uh, almost, you know, background, right? Any climb. So the pure climber is, is unique, but nowadays is a little different. It's changing. 
And then you have the puncher. That's the Ella Philippe. Um, you know, everybody loves that. I would almost kind of, you know, say that th this rider type, you know, nowadays is really catching a lot of attention. Um, you know, the explosive climber that, that, uh, has a lot of power that can do that kind of two to four minute power. And we see a lot of mountain bikers that are punchers, right. Coming from that because the mountain bike races now are the shorter, more muscular, explosive climbs and things like that. Um, so yeah, you have those four rider types and I know I'm kind of ranting on about all this stuff, but as an amateur, you're looking at which of those four rider types you fall into and, you know, how can I build my skill set, build my ability and build my education and my understanding of the sport in this rider type? And then how can I take that to races that are getting attention that are putting me on the map, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're a classic sprinter, right? Or you're a classic TT rider, for example, use like your area, right? SoCal, um, you know, you're a road guy and you're saying, hey, or road girl, and you're saying, hey, like, I want to get out on that scene. If those criteriums and you, you know, you're going to want to do them with the Legion folks, right? Like you're going to want to be out there in, in, in those races. That is a team that has budget that, you know, has jobs and, and they have successful riders. And you can say, hey, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to show you know, one, you know, that I can sprint or, or two, um, you know, I can chase down breakaways or three, I can go in breakaways. Mm -hmm. Right. I think those are the three areas. Like if you're in that criterium SoCal scene with Legion, you're yeah. going to have to be one of the best riders in that. And you can see some of the riders that have been in that scene have got jobs on the team. Right. Yeah. So pretty cool roadmap. I hope I didn't make it too complicated, but, but in my mind, that's how um, it works, right? Understand the job, understand who you are, your role in the job, and then most importantly, understand what you need to get to to do that job well. And I think a lot of people, again, miss that. They're too romantic, right? They say, I do 40 hours a week training. Give me yeah. the job. Nobody right. cares how much you train, right? Like nobody cares. In fact, it, it's almost like looks bad, right? It's you're like, I spend twice as much three times as much energy on this and I don't get any results. Hire me. No, right? We want the best bang for our buck and we want to make sure that you've got a process and you're consistent. That's how I think you can make that jump to professional. Okay. Um, and did you go right to a big team? Did you transition? Um, you I, was, I got my ass kicked a lot, like, you know, and, and so no, I didn't go right to a, you know, a big team. I, I struggled in college, like balancing the personal relationships, the social scene. And, and, you know, I gave so much up as a kid to be good at cycling that when I got to college and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like there's other people here doing other stuff. Like, right. <laughs> like this bike riding's hard. And like, it seems like this other lifestyle that everyone else is living is a little bit easier. Um, I did that for a bit and that put me back and, and on my journey back up, I was on some cool teams like Sobe Headshock. I don't know if you remember Sobe Cannondale. Um, I was on that team with some some really cool riders. Um, you know, Tinker Juarez was always an idol of mine, and it was really fun to ride a Cannondale and and see him at the races. And you know, I, he was an idol of mine as a kid. And then there I was, like, kind of doing similar racing than him to, or with him. So that was fun to be on that satellite team, I guess, uh, to Cannondale. And then when I made the road jump. Uh, it took me a while. Remember, like I, I probably got my ass kicked at the pro level for about three years, um, you know, and, and then I jumped to road. 
did well. Um, but keep in mind that getting your ass kicked on mountain biking, like does teach you like how to be a good bike racer and how to deal with stuff. So it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything during this time. In fact, getting my butt kicked helped a lot. By the time I got to the road, I wanted it bad. I had made so many mistakes. I had a lot of answers and a lot of solutions to, to race well. Um, and I was able to stage here for Mercury, uh, my first half season on the road, got to race with some really cool teammates like Chris Weary, Hank Vogels, Gord Frazier, Mike Sayers, um, you know, was really, really cool, um, being on that team with those guys. I learned a lot, Scott Moniger. Um, and then I signed my first real contract off of that, which was with Saturn, um, which was with teammates with Chris Horner, which many people know, um, Trent Klasna, Mark McCormick, um, Eric Wahlberg. It was like the hit squad of Ivan Dominguez. He was kind of a so SoCal legend down there. Uh, Charles Dion, I don't know if you remember him, but like, it was like the A team, like, you know, Saturn was like the, was a big, big budget U S team back in the day. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was still in college was, which was cool. I got a Saturn view to use that year. Oh, Rasan Bahati was, was on the team. Um, that was cool racing with him. Um, got a lot of stories about Rasan. It's kind of fun to see him, uh, do his thing now for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Okay. And then how'd you get to Europe? Uh, same, same type of thing. Like we're talking about, uh, you know, I, identifying races that I had opportunities to get in front of big teams. I, from the get go was interested in Europe mainly because people were telling me I could be good at Europe, right? Like there was, and I think this is an important part of the story is that, you know, people, um, you know, gave me direction and confidence from the no, right? People were saying, your climbing is world tour level. You can be a good climber. And it wasn't just, you know, from inside Saturn. It was externally from the people I was training. You know, started with Ned Oberon back in Durango. Um, you know, rode with John Tomac. Like all these guys, uh, Bob Roll, I was around, was like, hey, you should go to Europe and do something with that. So I was already mentally focused on achieving that goal um, going into Saturn. And so the race that that I marked on my calendar was was Tour of Langkawi. It's in Malaysia. I think at the time is it was a ten day stage race, almost world tour levels. But some smaller teams like Saturn got in, but all the big teams were there. Um, Chris Horner was my teammate. He had won Tour of Langkawi in the past, so he uh, knew how to win that race and shared a lot of that information with me. And went there and and uh, focused on getting to win and 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 won. Wow. But overall, the GC won the GC won uh, won the GC, and there was you know a lot of teams there that took note. You know, I kept up with the best climbers, dropped a lot of the best climbers, and and people were like, okay, um, you know, you can definitely do it. So I got offered a few contracts, and the one I ended up taking was with Fossa Bordalo, a uh, big Italian team. It was like the best team. It was kind of the Ineos. Uh, or Visma or whatever, Jumbo, which whatever of those two, you know, you, you your flavor would be, but it was the Italian version of that. So like Cancellara was on that team. Um, you know, Pippo Pizzato was on that. I mean, the list was, you know, Dario Frigo, Frank Vanderbrook was on the team. I mean, it was like every best rider ever who was like 
on this team. It must have been amazing for you. Um, and yeah, that was my first experience. Lived in Italy, straight up. Didn't speak any Italian. Had to learn that. And uh, yeah, had to had to learn European racing on the best team, and and uh, got my butt kicked a lot. That was that was a, a tough tough time. I bet. Yeah, trying to hang out with those guys. So, in my mind, like the they're the pro tour level. The training, what they're doing is. Like whatever I, we're thinking about now is what they were doing maybe ten years ago. Is that is that a true thing? Like, are those guys the current like Jumbo Visma? Are they doing techniques that like we're just not even thinking about yet? Like, whatever the power gear is of the future that will be common, are they using techniques and training and technology? You know, are they just light years ahead? We're like for you when you got there, we just like. Oh, I never thought about training like that. You know, the the you're not going to like this answer, but the answer is no, right? Like yeah. the the people like us, like the co- the coaches are are the ones that are working on those things, right? It, it, the teams they hire coaches and and they bring in people to help with the with these things. But I would say that that it's more the riders themselves that are pushing the sport forward at that level at the fast rate they are right. Like, whereas like formula one and, and you kind of look at some other sports motocross, um, the teams are really driving a lot of, a lot of the innovation. And I, I feel like on the equipment side, you know, yes, the teams are pushing that, right? Like wind tunnel testing, you know, finding the, the fastest skin suit, the best, you know, uh, uh, booties to wear, you know, the, the fastest pulleys, you know, the bikes are, are top notch for sure. But the training side of it, um, really in general comes from the riders. Now there are some exceptions to that. And I would say, you know, Ineos, uh, and and Jumbo Visma, I think are the exceptions where they really have put in a big interest in, in the riders, um, from a training standpoint, from a logistics training standpoint, but I would say that the biggest thing that those teams do um, that's differently is they take the best of the best. And this was the same for me in my career, like with Discovery Channel. Um, you go to the training camp with the best of the best. You're, you're riding with the best rider who has had the best success and has the best people around them. And so you're seeing how they pedal. You're seeing how they hold the handlebars. You're seeing the types of training they're doing. Now, the teams, they'll put you in position with those best riders over time, but you got to earn that. So you don't come in as some, you know, new guy that or new girl that's, you know, coming in and they're just like, hey, you're so talented. We're going to put you on the A team. They kind of like give you the sink or swim, you know, like don't really give you access to all that, the training with the best riders and going to the best races. Um they even kind of sometimes put you with like a general coach that just gives you a general training program that's oftentimes too hard. And so you kind of do too hard training with too hard of racing with too many race days. Mm-hmm. And they kind of take the ones that that swim from that group and then they move them into the A-team program, which essentially is going to the best races with the best racers, doing the best training camps with the best racers. And that's really what pushes that along. But 
it's not like people think where they think, you know, the world tour is the best training and they know everything and it's so awesome. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of times, you know, the, the, the Dylan Johnson or whatever on the YouTube, you know, has more aerodynamic, uh, information than a lot of these, a lot of these teams, right? Like, you know, yeah. again, Enios and Jumbo, they, they, you know, they jump out. Right. And, and when I was on, um, you know, Discovery Channel, we spent a ton of time on technology and you see, you know, Garmin, Slipstream, <clears throat> Cannondale, EF, whatever. They spend some time on that. I think they probably spent more time before than they do now. But a lot of these teams that are smaller, you know, they don't, in the old school, right? Like yeah. Lotto or whatever, they're not doing any, <laughs> you, you know, like the, in, in the results show. So, so I think um, to answer your question, it's not as good as it looks for sure. So it kind of goes back to what you're saying. Like you have to know who you are and it's really, you know, I even told my kids this, right? It's me incorporated at the end of the day and you're, you're, you're running your own business. Yeah. You're part of discovery or whatever, Yeah. but still. And so I guess one last thing, like when you have, are people holding their cards close to the vest amongst the team or people pretty liberal with, Hey, I'm training whatever polarized training and it's really working or are people are the, are the teammates pretty close on that? Or is even that held pretty close to the vest among the riders themselves? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question again. And I, I just want to hit on that point that you just said, it's me incorporated. And I think that's something that I learned, right? That, that you have to take control over your destiny by putting your team that has your best interests around you, right? Like yeah. your family, your, your coach, um, you know, like your own mechanic that, that's, that's at home with you, you know, you, you got to build this almost like the motocross riders have this team around you that then goes to the race and, and, and has, uh, your best interests with, with your program and your training. And, um, that, that's, that's key to success. Now, now on to, you know, the, the, the next point, you know, um, Sorry, can you ask me? I, I totally spaced. I was just wondering if the writers, like if you feel okay, yeah, the, the writers share information or are they keeping that pretty close to the vest? Because, right, if I maybe I tell you my secret, now you're number one on the team and I'm number two. I, I just wonder how that works, that dynamic. Yeah, and you're, you're spot on with that too. Like people definitely, and I think that's a cycling thing in general, right? Like we all love to keep our secret training there and, and, and keep our secret di diet and our secret regime and, all those things close to the chest. I, I think that definitely does exist for sure. Um, you know, I would say that like, you know, it's probably at different levels with, with different leaders of the team or different top riders. Like, you know, Chris Horner, I, I use him as an example. I feel like he shared everything, right? Like, I mean, he shared what he ate, whether it was good or bad. He shared his training routine. He shared his tactics. Yeah, I mean, just like he is as a commentator, he's just very open and, and straightforward and, and tells it like it is. And, you know, he, by him doing that, helped me and helped the riders around him. Um, as you know, also in this world, like a lot of people are, are not open to taking advice or learning from other people. Sure. And so, yeah, maybe some of these riders keep it close to the, to the chest, but at the same time, you also have to be, uh, you know, aware enough to say, Hey, like, Todd over here or Primo's over here is winning. Let me, let me have a look and see like what they're doing differently than I am and see if I can learn. And a lot of people, again, they come in and they say, well, you know, I know what power to weight they do. So I'm going to lose weight and gain power and beat them all. You know, and a lot of times it's just something simple, right? Where it's like, what are you doing with your heels? Oh, you're lifting your heels up on that upstroke. Wow. Like, that's cool. Like, 
Um, so I think, I, I think, uh, some, most writers don't share, but, but the ones that, that do, uh, it's important that, that the writers around them take advantage of that. Right. Okay, cool. So me back to me and corporate as long as we're going to stick with that theme. So you retire at some point. How did you know it was time to retire? Like, did, it, like, did you? Yeah, just... I mean, I, I, I didn't get, I, I mean, that's a big part of my story. I didn't really get the retirement that I wanted, right? Like I had a positive doping test um, and that, that ended it all for me, like in, in a ball of flames. You know, I think it was an unfortunate situation for me. And, you know, I can go back and, and, you know, give as much color and light to it as I didn't mean to bring that up as I I want to, but no, no, no. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a big part of my story. And, um, you know, like it, it happened, uh, due to, you know, I'll just say this and people can believe it or not, but a positive test came from a, or the positive test came from a, a contaminated supplement. And so, you know, the difficult side of me is, is I had done this behavior in the past. I had participated in doping in my past. I had come out and, and shared everything that I did, um, as part of the Lance Armstrong, um, you know, investigation and, and, you know, exposing myself that way, right? Like sharing so many details about, you know, how I had doped, when I had doped. I mean, that's, that was what we did is, is we shared all of it. And so it was, you know, you have this positive test and, and no one's going to believe that you're innocent. Right. And, you know, at the time when this happened to me, I was like, it, it, it sucked because I was like, really like at the peak of my career, I had really figured a lot out. I was in a really good shape and uh, I just said that kind of Euro style. I was in very good shape and, and, you know, was ready to, to do some of the best racing that I'd ever done. And, you know, to have it all come crashing down like that, um, that was pretty scarring. And, and the way it happened too was, you know, I didn't really know, like I had this relationship with USADA due to, uh, you know, cooperating and participating in, in, in the Lance Armstrong investigation. And, you know, they like had my phone number and they like called me at dinner, um, you know, the night before tour Utah and told me I, I had a positive test. Um, and like anyone would react, like I like told the world, right. You know, I didn't know what to do, but I knew like I couldn't race in that state. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I just told everybody, which, you know, now looking back at it, maybe wasn't <laughs> the best way to, to go about it just because, you know, the information that they gave me was wrong. And so, you know, it torpedoed my career and it made it in a way that I couldn't return. Right. Um, and that was, that was my retirement. There, there's no, there's no pretty story there. Um, and, and honestly, like the biggest thing that I learned from that whole experience is, you know, whether it's your fault or, or it's not, it really doesn't matter. Like you got to pick up the pieces and you got to move forward and, you know, the first like six months after that, um, into my career, you know, I was still trying to get my career back, right? Like I was prove it, trying to prove my innocence. I was looking, testing supplements, figuring it out. Um, and you know, the money, uh, in the bank account was, was ending, you know, I had two kids at the time for now, but two that needed, uh, <laughs> support needed, you know, I, I had a family and, and, uh, I wasted a lot of time uh, chasing my tail, trying to prove my innocence. When now I look back at it, you know, again, you know, how does the same way we were looking at sort of me incorporate is, is like, 
you know, what skill set do you have? Like, you know, where are you at? Um, and how does that match up to, to racing? If you kind of look at this, it's like, well, you, you know, you already did this in the past. People aren't going to believe you. Sponsors aren't going to want you back. Um, you know, you're older, like, like they didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of like career trajectory for me to say like, oh yeah, like prove your innocence and come back. It's like, well, maybe I can prove my innocence, but I'm already destroyed. Like my image is already destroyed, you know? And, and so what I end up doing is quietly proving my innocence, um, resolving that issue, um, not dragging everyone that was involved with name through the mud, put an end to my, my career. Um, again, I, I find it, uh, sad right like it's was pretty traumatic how it all went down and um yeah i mean just just going through that whole um you know public experience was tough but what i learned like i said is ownership is key and you know at the end of the day like i took the supplement like i trusted the people like i didn't do enough research into it like you know it's my fault right and it's my responsibility um to move forward so you know, as soon as I got to that space where I was like, okay, it's time for me to move forward. Okay. You know, I'm going to pr press on, um, you know, that's when I found cinch. That's when I created cinch with my wife. Uh, we really needed to find a, a way to make money. Um, I had, a, I have a marketing degree. I have a psychology degree. So I kind of went out in the time and went to all the people I have relationships with and said, Hey, like, what do you, what should I do? You know, should I get a job? And every single person told me to start a business with cycling. And mm -hmm. I said, like, I can't do that. Like my name's mud. Like people will hate your thing. Right. Like, and they said, no, no, like you're, you're good. Like, like do like do what you're talented. Like people will get over it. Like people will move forward. Like people, you know, the truth will always come out. Right. And if you're this slime ball, you know, cheater, like, you know, horrible person that that people are saying you are then your business won't succeed but i know you and, and you're not that person you'll succeed um and so i took a leap of faith and it's kind of funny because um the house that i'm in now i bought um with with some money that a lot of my savings account um right before my positive test and we put a, our whole savings account essentially in, into this house here. And then I had my positive test and I lost my job. I lost my career. It all went crashing down. And we hadn't closed on the, we hadn't closed on, on the, uh, the, the, the loan or what, or we hadn't closed on the house yet. So I saw a time to back out. Right. Yeah. And I said, me and my wife looked at each other and we had not very much money at all none in the bank account. We had like two credit cards with some room to, to, to go with that. And, and they said, what do we do? Do we go with this house? You know, like trust that we have what it takes to move forward and trust that you're innocent trust that you're going to, you're going to move forward. Um, you're going to get, you know, out of this or, you know, pull the money out of the house, you know, live in an apartment and, and, you know, have that nest egg and, um, I said, well, I'm innocent one and, and, and two, like, I, I know I, you know, I, I'm confident that, you know, I'm going to be able to, to move forward. So we, so we went ahead with the house, right? Like literally with no, I love um, this. no, so no, um, no income and, uh, just, just belief 
right? Uh, knowing the truth, but having the belief on, on, um, you know, the, the skill set and who we are as people and we're going to do it. And so when we started cinch, right, like we kind of already had this like mortgage payment, um, situation, right. Which was in line with like what I would have made as a top pro world tour guy. Right. And so when we started cinch, it was like, that was, that's where I drew the line. I was like, we got to make this much money. Right. And so we put all of our stuff on, on credit cards, um, and started going aggressively after, after building up cinch, we started with camps and at the camps, people were like, no, no, I want coaching. Um, and it had to charge a lot for coaching because we needed to make a lot. And, and so didn't really look and see like what other coaching businesses were doing. Didn't look and see, you know, like, like how successful they were. Like, honestly, like, and I'll get to this later with like my cancer journey and all that, but like, you know, that was a, a big win for me because if, if I did look and like, look around and say, well, what do people charge for coaching? How many people are doing coaching, right? And how many people do it as a full-time job? And can you make as much as you make in the racing as a top world tour rider doing cycling coaching? Yeah. Like if I put that into like, you know, chat, you know, AI or whatever it is and, or, or like, you know, like ask Google, like they say, you're, you're fucking crazy, bro. Like you ain't going to make shit coaching. Right. Like, and, 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 and I didn't even add it into the equation, but like just recently had a doping positive, like, you know, like your name is literally smacked, like smeared all over every internet site, all over Twitter, all over, like, can you start a winning coaching business? And so that catalyst with knowing the income really forced me and my wife, Courtney, to hustle hard. And what we did is we didn't, again, pay attention to what other people were doing. We didn't pay attention to, you know, what, what was happening outside. We just listened to the people that came to our camps and said, what do you, you know, what, what are your problems, right? Like, how can I help you? Like, oh God. you know what I mean? Like, now that I look back at it, it's sort of business 101, but in the time it was like, we just had like, and, and let me tell you again, like, having a business, charting to start up a business during a doping positive, like with your name smeared all over the internet is not the right time for it. We were doing oh, history as a coach. Like, yeah, history as a coach. Literally, literally like we had like one person at the camp, you know, and I, with that one person, we would just sit there and ask them questions and listen to their storytelling and storytell to them. And, and that is how we got the information to build this program because the, the people were just telling us what they want. And we're like, well, I know how to do that. I can build that. Yeah. I can teach you that. I can help you feel that. Oh, I know the solution for that. Like, and we, I wrote everything down, every problem, every, every desire, every goal, wrote it down and build a process around it, and build a program around it. And then started doing it with people. And what ha ended up happening is they told their friends and they told their friends, told their friends. And, you know, to this day, we still have the same clients that we, that we started with in 2016. Amazing. And, and, you know, I would go to group rides and, and I'd go out there and, you know, and everyone would shame me on the group rides, right? They'd be like, Tom Danielson, you shouldn't even be, because I was still suspended at this time. They gave me a reduced suspension, right? Cause I, I showed my evidence and, you know, they said, okay. Uh, we're not going to like give you the maximum here. You you have a shorter suspension, but it still was significant. I, I was suspended, 
And, yeah. and, and what, what, what happened was like, you know, the other coaching businesses would literally shame me on the rides and they would call USADA and tell them this guy is coaching these people on these group rides and he's suspended. And, and, and I would get letters from USADA that said, you know, Hey, like you're not allowed to like, or no, they're not those people. If they're racing, you know, amateur races, they're, they're not, they're not allowed to hold a USA cycling license and, and, and coach you. And I like told the people, I was like, Hey, like I, I, I can't coach, you know, what do you want to do? And at one point I got a letter from USADA that had like, because I, I built my clientele quickly, but a letter that had like 75 names, you know, of, of like 75 people I coached and, and was like, these people <laughs> are, you know, are going to get a letter from us unless you, you, you know, turn them. I don't even remember what it was. And I, I went to each person. And I said, Hey, this is what's going to happen. Like you could get suspended, um, for, for being coached by me. And, and they all said, no, 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 I'll get suspended. I'm staying with you. Um, Amazing. And I was like, holy crap, really? Like, you really want want, want to stay with me? Like, How did that I mean, feel? Like, how did that amazing. feel in your heart? And, and so eventually my suspend, suspension ended. Um, and then I was like, you know, whatever. Now I was just like this, like, disgraced person, human being this, that, that, you know, people had all these crazy stories about me that they would share. Still, it was super hard to get, you know, out there, right? Because yeah. people, again, would just make it absolutely as difficult as possible. I mean, I had this one group ride literally ban me, like, you know, and I wasn't suspended anymore, like ban me and my group from their group ride because my group, and these were all older people, right? These were all, and oh, I should go back here. My clientele at the time came from the people that were dropped off the back of the group rides. So I would sit at the back, right? Because I'm shamed anyway. I can't go up there and do anything. Right. I'm at the back and that's where all the people that are struggling and need coaching are. And so they would get dropped off the back and I'd be like, hey, do you want to get back? You know? And they'd be like, yeah, I want to get back. And I'd like, hey, try this. Like pedal hard here. Like don't force it right here. Like let's go here. Let's use this. Let me show you how to position before this part with a crosswind. And so eventually I had all these clients that like literally were like, dropped off the back and they were all winning the group ride and that created a lot more people signing up and, and we had this whole force and that led to to my me, mine and my group and uh, getting banned from the group ride you know that they, they said you can't come here anymore right like uh, we got these other coaching groups and they don't like you here and i mean dude my story in building this business uh, it was brutal um and you know like so, so how did my career end it and it like that, but, but, but like, you know, again, going back to ownership and just going back and saying, Hey, like this, this scar that's all over me, these problems that I'm having, you know, just instead of feeling sorry for myself and saying, Hey, like, you know, like try to understand it, right? Like, you know, not everybody's educated in who you are and, and, um, your true story or like why you're here and they only hear from their friends or what they read on the internet and, you know, maybe they're, 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 they're spreading hate or making things difficult for you, but you know, they don't know. And you can't, you can't waste any time getting upset about that. And you can't really waste any time, um, you, you know, worrying about like what, what, why you can't move forward with those people or whatever. You've got to just focus on the areas that you can move forward in. Um, and, and yeah, so that led to me, uh, really focusing on, the customer and the client that was dropped, right? Like, 
you know, I couldn't get up to the front of the group ride. Like those, those people thought I was bad. So I was back there at the, you know, the back, um, building programs and finding ways for people to succeed, you know, in cycling. And, and through that experience really led me to understand that cycling truly is a vehicle for personal growth and self change and healthy habits. Right. Which before I just thought cycling was a vehicle to win races. And here I am, you know, using this for me to keep sane, right? And I'm learning about other people and helping them with their cycling. And everything they were telling me is like, you know what? I just want to feel good about myself. Like, I just want to, you know, live to to see my grandkids. Like, you know, I, I, I want to get better at something every day. I'm older and every day I get worse, you know? But cycling, I feel like I can get better every day. And it's like, that's in an essence, like, you know, how, how, how since got built in sort of a really rough time. And now I look back at it and it's like, holy cow, can't believe I survived that. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's how it happened. <laughs> oh, I love that. Right there. I, I love that. Yeah, so, oh wait, so I just add one thing. So yeah. we did get the business up enough to pay off, pay, pay the mortgage and pay down our house. Still in the house. Yeah. So, so that, that and 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 I, I will say that like back to the amateurs or anyone that's looking to you know succeed at a, a professional or at a higher level in anything, I think that's key. Really, is like knowing where you're at, which was broke, um, desperate. I was broke, desperate, and and and, and had to make the money, right? Like that's that was my true perspective, yeah. and so that led to me working tirelessly no matter what to succeed there wasn't an option to give up it wasn't an option to, to to do something else right and so that was a big part of the business's success is it's like i've got this pressure i've got this standard that i'm setting for myself and i can't not hit it or else more than me a cause greater than myself is going to suffer and so that's really what led me to build um, cinch the way it is now. So it was a perfect transition point because why the name cinch? What does that mean? What does that, is it an acronym? Is it, tell, tell us, give us a background. And was it the first name? Was it the third name? How did that come about? And I mean, just like the retirement party, like it's not, not a pretty story, right? Like it's not that great. Um, so like the, the original name for the camp that we started with, was Tommy D's cycling escape. And, you know, at the time, right, like um, I had the name Tommy D and I was a good cyclist and I had a good fan base, right? So, you know, that worked to get people initially. But then when we had um, the problems uh, and we needed to create a business, so I should back up a little bit. So I had a camp business prior to the end of my career. That was just a small thing that I was having fun because I enjoyed um, people. Right. I honestly, like I did this literally, I, I ran cycling camps in my off season as a pro cyclist while I was training. I like coaching. I like people that much that I did that. Um, and so I couldn't use that name anymore because my name was shit. And so I needed another name. And so my wife and I, we kind of thought like, all right, what do we need a name? What is it going to be? And well, what do we do? Well, we simplify cycling and teach it to people. And so since essentially in the, in the beginning, um, means simple, right? Like making something simple. And and I think cycling in in general, at least what I 
have experienced with with my journey with the coaching in the in the business is that people feel overwhelmed and intimidated by how complicated and how difficult the sport is, yeah. right? Like it, you, you want to get into it, but it man, it just seems like there's so much and there's so many things and there's so many experiences and everybody just seems way better than me, right? And so we were we came at it or we always have come at it is is you know, hey, we're going to simplify this and and keep it simple. Now, since then, I've been desperately wanting to turn it into an acronym because I feel like we're so much more than simple cycling now, right? And yeah. so, like, I've messed around with a bunch of different things. Um, but today, right, the acronym, and, and I'm, I basically made it while I was um, at the cancer center. I... I um, found out that I was going to have to amputate my hand or my finger and my knuckle off my hand um, to prevent cancer from spreading in my body and from coming back. And I was terrified of this building. I was terrified of cancer. I was terrified uh, of, of the path that I was going down. I was terrified by the doctors that I was talking to. And I met this, the, the guy that the surgeon that ended up doing my, my surgery. And this guy, like, treated me like how I treat people in cinch where it was like, I understand you. I understand your problem. Mm -hmm. I have the path for you. It's going to be hard, but this is the winning strategy. That's what this surgeon did for me, this oncologist. Yeah. And prior to this, the surgeon, everybody was, was very much like, oh, cancer, like, I don't know. It's really hard to, to follow. It's very complicated. It's, you know, all those things are true. But just like anything else, you just want somebody that you can trust that says you can win this, right? And I'm going to show you how. Yeah. And at that point, at that point, like, well, I was desperate, right? I was terrified. I was scared. And so I was like, that guy, like how he made me feel is like what I want every single person to feel like with Sitch, right? And so I wrote down an acronym at the time in my car at the Anschutz Cancer Center in the parking lot, literally crying, right? And, and, and so for me, like the first first part, the C, it means courage, right? That's what we do that in our culture. That's what it's all about. That's what cycling does for people. It gives people courage, right? Yeah. Yeah. The I is inspiration, right? Like you've got to be inspired to do what you need to do, right? Yep. You've got to have that inspiration. You've got to have that passion, right? The end, to me, that means never give up, right? That pact that you're never going to quit. You're never going to give up. You're going to see it through to the end, right? Yeah. The next C, basically, like, again, like I feel like, you know, there, there's so many different like letters and, 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 and different C's, you, you know, that you can, that you can put, you, you, you can put in there, you can put it, you know, it all in there, but I feel like commitment is, is, is key, right? Like that's what I'm feeling right now, because you got to yeah. be committed to what you're doing. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta have the courage, right? You gotta have that commitment. You know, you got to be able to use that commitment to conquer, you know, what, what you're going to do next. And, mm. and, and, and in this case, whether it's cycling, whether it's health, whether it's racing, whether it's cancer, you know, you got to commit to conquer. Right. So yeah. that's the C and the H is what that, that, you know, oncologist, Dr. Donaldson gave me that day. And, and what I try to give everybody that I talk to and I, you know, is hope. Right. 
And, you know, for me, like that's something that I've always been able to do a good job with is hope. No matter whether it's the end of my cycling career, whether it's divorce, whether it's cancer, like whether it's, you know, failure, whether it's, you know, my son's blind, like whatever it is, all these things that I've been through, I feel like I've always used that in, in, in that sense of optimism that I have almost in my DNA, this like hope, like I, I'm, I'm excited for what's next. This is shit right now, but damn, I can't wait to get up tomorrow and do something great. Right. Yeah. And that hope, and so that's a that's an acronym that we have now. And I haven't done a lot of work putting it out there because it's fresh in my mind, and and I, I don't no. really know how to get it out there. Um, but that's our culture in a nutshell. That's what we do here in Cinch. Um, yeah, and so that's what Cinch means. I love it. I I love that story from the the simplicity of the start to the heaven heaven given inspiration. That you've received to to spell that out it's just it's really Thank you. i appreciate that uh i uh, also love your branding i love the big powerful c i love the color right that um celeste color that you guys use how did you land on that color does that does that mean anything to you guys yeah so one of our first clients matt tanner um he he is a graphic designer by heart and, and so you know in this journey, and just like everybody knows, like bootstrapping a business from the beginning. Um, and I will add, like, we never had any investor money or had any help. Um, like, we bootstrapped this thing from the beginning. Also, was we leaned on our clients, right, that were helping, you know, to, to build the business better, right? We have a, a really high-level group of people that are here now. I mean, it's pr it's actually amazing who, the, the people that's part of our business. I, I could go on all day, but but um, you want this? He was one of our first clients, Matt Tanner. He started in 2016. Um, no, 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 no. He came to our first camps in like 2014. Um, so yeah. So he's been here forever. Um, and he has a really cool brand, Roll Fast, that he started in Indiana. He's got a cool following. He's a great friend of mine. He's still a client, and he's a coach now, which is awesome. You know, he's one With of Cinch. Yeah, yep. He's we've made all of our coaches or um people that were like our star clients that have been here from the beginning that that get it, that love people, that love the program. So he's one of them. Yeah, and he just like, you know, he just messed around with some colors. The original colors like had brown in it. He put this like creative brown, um, white, black, and that in that, you know, that aqua, celeste, green, uh, blue color. Yeah. And the 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 brown didn't stick. Um, and, and the green in the green dead. So we, we kept that, but he's the guy, um, that came up with the, the, the C, you know, the C with the inch it's, it's so the C is the, the C and then the inch, you know, so it's sitch. Oh, right? that's that. Yeah. That. No one really gets that, but I do. I was looking at your hat right now. It's like, is that a 16? Cause started in 16. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. No, no. That's like the inch, uh, symbol in there. So yeah, oh, it's, it's stuck and it's cool now. Right. Like uh, people recognize it like everywhere. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks for the feedback on that. Like, I would say that we worked really hard at that, but that's not true. That was just Matt doing a good job back in 2000 and whatever, <laughs> um, crushing it. And and we've we've stuck it since. And I'm a super creative person. You'll probably have seen uh, a lot of different variations of the kit. Um, and and so I'm back to listening to people to keep it simple and consistent because 
sometimes you know creativity away from your brand makes it difficult for people to understand it's your brand so yeah the c and the color i'm gonna stick with that <laughs> yeah very good very good so you're doing a lot on social media now um i think that's how we how i've found rediscovered you but let me just backpedal this for a second there and i, I apologize if i have the story wrong come you can just say dude this is terrible but did you write a book on stretching yeah, so I wrote a book yeah. on core training. Yes. We have two books. We have I tried to go on... find it in the garage before we picked up, and I was like, ah, I, I have one of them. Oh, nice. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, where is this book? But I just couldn't find it. And then I thought, well, maybe he didn't write it, and I wasn't going to bring it up. But okay, so tell us about the book. Like, when did you write that? And Yeah, that was during my pro career. Um, I wrote it with uh, the physical therapist, personal trainer that that came up with all those exercises. Uh, I had a bad injury in 2008, uh, bad back injury, herniated L5 S1. Um, and, and, uh, you know, was struggling in my racing and, and met this, went through all kinds of PT and different people and no one could really get me dialed and met this one woman, Allison Westfall. And, and she was amazing. And so I thought her stuff was so good and the way she taught me the importance of core training and activation. And I mean, this was kind of in the, the, the time that like no one really talked about it. Right. And, and so, yeah, now everybody's got a core program and um, this and that, but she built the whole thing around cycling. So I basically kind of, um, she followed me in the car and saw how I rode and saw, she had no cycling background, which I think is a lot of times the best type of person to bring in when you're trying to, to solve or create something that's really specific to like a concept that doesn't necessarily involve cycling. So yeah. like if we're talking about muscles and how they work, like starting with a cyclist, they're only going to see like how they've always done it. So, you know, going with someone that literally like looks at me and like your posture, shit, this and that, and that, you know, <clears throat> seeing it for what it truly is and not necessarily thinking anything about why it's that way um, was important. So yeah, she followed me in the car. She followed followed me everywhere um, and, you know, made all these cool exercises through working together. And so they worked awesome. I got through my injury, got back on the bike, raced better than ever, obviously had a good career. Um, and, and yeah, we wrote a book together, you know, with her exercises, but just my context and storytelling behind it. Um, and it's done really well. Like, uh, it's a lot of people have it, so it's cool. And I think it's really changed the game and we use it religiously here in cinch the, the core activation program. Um, we do a lot of core stuff before the ride, a lot of things after the ride, things on your rest days. Um, you know, it's, sometimes people complain, they're like, why do we always do the same exercise over and over again? It's like, listen, it's like brushing your teeth, right? Like, soon as you stop brushing your teeth, like you realize why you're brushing your teeth. Like we don't need to make that colorful. You know, we can make the workouts, the cycling colorful, but I'm sorry, like making sure that th these exercises work. We are not changing this like this 10 minutes change your life. Um, I, I still to this day do my routine. So that's great. And did you say you'd written another book as well? Yep. Yep. So we created a whole system um, that we use in cinch called the form performance method. And and the idea was like, we have this holistic approach to cycling 
we knew a lot of people were going to adopt or kind of use this idea, right? Like at the time, everyone was training with like FTP and like, you know, zone two and like, you know, really like basic kind of like th this is the way it is. And, you know, we're like, hey, there's a lot more to it. And, and so we built, we wrote a book on the whole system. One, so we could copyright it, but two, um, just to kind of get it out there where, you know, people could see like, wow, there is a whole technique component to like cycling. There is different mindsets that, you know, are used in cycling. Like, wow, like this whole nutrition idea of like fueling through carbohydrates and things like that and integrating that in with like the zones I'm using. And I mean, these are all things that are, are, are not necessarily original on their own, but the way that, that we teach them um, and then kind of like the context that it's all brought in for a high level output at the end of the day, makes it really original and unique. So we wrote a book on that. It's 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 um it's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, you can you can check it out. It's called Cycling where On. People find that. Where, where, yeah, you can find it everywhere. Press? Yeah. Any any it's Bell Press. Um, did it? I guess Bell Press no longer exists. It got I think they got bought by Outside or something like that. But uh, but did the book is. Yeah, the outside or whatever publishes it. It's in Am it's in Amazon, Barnes, every bookstore, every online thing. It, it's on our website as all as well. Since cycling, okay, great. CC. It, it's, it's yeah, it's done well too. Um, I did get us off the rails, but I'm glad we covered that. Um, I was going to talk about your social media because I think you're doing a really interesting job on your reels and. Um, how long was that? How long have you been doing those? Are you getting traction? Um, is it just because you just want to get the word out? Is it bringing business back to you guys? Oh yeah. I mean, well, one, I'm a super creative person, right? So like my whole coaching methodology is very creative. Like I will sit there and work all day long and just let my brain like think about stuff and create new ideas and refine them. And I'll just do, that's a pat, that's like, fishing or that's like cycling for me, like creating stuff. Like I love it. Um, and so like I started using video to teach within cinch, um, long time ago. Like when we first started, that's like, you know, how, how we did a lot of our teaching was like, here's a video, how to do it. Right. You know, like just sending it to the clients or, or demonstrating it. Um, and we didn't really spend a lot of money or time on on social media marketing so to speak we did more kind of like the social media was like kind of like well this is what we're doing right like we did this race or this guy won this event or you know check us out like this is me on a climb you know like kind of that and you know we put up some of our videos that we were using internally and had like a really positive reaction and then people started signing up because, you know, they would share the video. They were like, wow, this is different than what, it, what, it, what anyone else is doing. Um, and I guess what's cool about the videos too is it's like a way where I can be creative and enjoy, you know, make cool stuff. Uh, um, what I love the most too is like showcasing our badass clients, right? Like it is a bit of a rush to like make a video, like be creative, make a video about someone and they just look so damn good on the bike, right? It's like, you know, here's this, you know, six-year-old rider and like, look at him, look at his position, you know, like, oh, here's this 
female racer that just, you know, is ripping up this climb. Like, look at that, you know, like, look at the technique, look at the mind, mental intensity. And I get it. Not everybody gets the same excitement. Like they don't get it right. They see a six year old rider and they're like, okay, cool. But like, I hope, or my, you know, that they can see like, wow, that technique's really good. Like that person looks like Pagacha, right. Even though, you know, they're going a little bit slower. So, you know, I started with those, with that, just, just like that, just being creative, teaching, um, coaching, sharing some of it on social media, um, it reacting really well. And then nowadays, like the way that the Instagram works is the reels, um, you know, they kind of stay up and they, they, they get, they get sent, people share them and, you know, due to their popularity or whatever, they, they, they get promoted on other ones organically. And so we haven't, so to speak, spent money on advertising, um, a paid ad in like four years, right? Like we haven't paid for an ad, um, for a while. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we stopped paying for ads in 2019, I believe. 2020 or 2019 or something like that. And, and just kind of created organic content. And then, but what we do spend our money on um, is a pro team. And so you could say that that's advertising. Sure. Um, but but it's for me, it's more R&D and passion. We have a pro women's team. Um, we spend a lot of our money on it, but I think it's very well spent because you know we're able to put our coaching practices methodology passion to the biggest test you know trying to perform well at, at these at these high level races and the cool thing about that too is they're doing racing that is relevant to our clients so you know we're trying to win unbound crusher of the tusher tour of the gila or you know uh sbt gravel or these these events like it's like Oh, you're doing SVT gravel. Okay, cool. Like we learned this, 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 this. And you really learn when you have a lot of skin in the game, right? Yeah. Like if, if it's your financial financial investment, if it's you know it's your time, if if it's your program, um, and you're a competitive person like myself, like yeah, you 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 really learn if it works or not, you know, because you you're not willing to put it out there. So we're very, are, are we, you know, and I and honestly like. This this intensity behind the team really has been inspired by the kind of like the drive to survive, like show right. Like just watching that during the pandemic for me was like, man, like if we did that with like with our coaching program, you know, like it's like we test all this and you know we we you know and and in the the lot and I'm talking a lot on this, but the cool thing about our team is it's all organic clients from Cinch. So none of the pro women that are on the team like we recruited like, Hey, you're winning. Let's put you on the team. Every single person came to us, um, needing help it, to get to the next level. So we have passionate people, um, people that are relevant with relevant stories to, to our clients. Um, and so we're able to get a lot of really valuable data on our program. Um, and I'm still to this day, like hoping like the numbers somehow show that it's like this investment on the team returns this much into our business it doesn't at all in terms of like short-term like marketing or whatever yeah. but i do believe like long-term with the, the quality of the program brand recognition things like that um it will pay off for sure marketing is always hard to measure so <laughs> it can always be hard to measure for sure yeah um yeah uh that's that's great so how do you know so i think a lot of people 
are, have not ever had a coach, right? And now they're like, okay, I've been at this for a little bit. They're not lucky enough to have an ex-pro hanging on the back to come up and say, hey, you might want to try this when you hit that next hill. So how do people, and not everybody's near you, right? Or so how do people, how would you suggest people go about just in general finding a coach? Um, you know, how do, there's good coaches and I'm sure you've had good coaches and bad coaches. Um, what, what would you suggest? You probably have some sort of intake form with, with Cinch even like to, to decide if it's a good fit for you guys. What do you suggest for, I guess maybe we'll even look at specific, um, demographics, like a guy training for a charity ride. He wants to, you know, not necessarily people that want to go pro, but they just want to get better. Like how, which is your target in, in, in a sense, how do you recommend people find a coach? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, uh, a good question. Lots of good questions today. Um, the, the first thing I would say though, is like, why have a coach, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what does a coach do? Why have a coach? And, you know, number one is, is you really need like your number one support person that is devoted to you. That's always in your corner that always has your best interests at heart. We talked about this a little bit with the world tour racing. This extends all the way down to like your family life and, and your community and your club and your friends and, you know, wherever it is, like you really need somebody that's like just devoted to your personal interests and success. Mm-hmm. Now, it might sound kind of like, yeah, 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 soft in the, in the, on the outside, but, you know, you're not always going to know, especially when you get to the friction and the tough moments in your life, what the best path is for you. Right. And you're not always going to know, like, is the advice or, or, is the direction you're heading in going to yield the the result that you want. And so that coach is like, again, kind of back down to like, you know, that oncologist that really connected with me is like, that's your person that's in your corner that says, this is the winning strategy for you. Right. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of value in, in, in that. Um, and, and it's having it someone outside of your family, I think is good, right? Because you can, a lot of people will say, well, my wife is is my partner in that or my husband's my partner in that or my best friend or whatever. But there's always going to be kind of a moment where there's going to be conflict, right? And in, in, in maybe your pursuit of passion or your pursuit of health or wh- whatever it is where it's like, hey, I need like an unbiased opinion, right? Like, I'm not sure if you're giving me this advice connected to what you want to do or what you think I should do for me. So I think that 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 why um, behind the coaches is, is important. Now, now how you get the coach, you know, that's a good question, right? Like, well, I don't even know the answer to that. You know, like I, I think like, you know, looking to people that are like you that have had success um, with a coach, I think is probably the strategy that I would take, right? Is kind of like look out there and say, okay, who's like me? Um, what type of person, um, you know, what, what, what's, you know, what, what background do they have? And like, you know, are, are they successful, um, now? And, and, you know, that's the major how we've got the majority of our clients, you know, is through word of mouth, right. Where, yeah, even though people might see us at the race and yeah, Lauren wins a race and people are like, wow, she's super fast. Like a lot of times people are like, well, 
you know, that person's talented or whatever. So like just winning races is not enough, right? It kind of has to be like, well, what's the story? Where did this person come from? And they use your program successfully and and now they're at a, a better a better spot, right? So, you know, testimonials aren't really that great for that either because it's like, well, so many people give testimonials. Um, so yeah, like doing doing uh, kind of word of mouth research or at least like looking at a type of person, um, you know, I think that's a that's a good a good way. Uh, personality is is always important as well. Like you kind of want to see like what you know vibe that that the coach has. Um, I think a lot of like cycling coaches are really like bland and kind of like boring. So for me, like I like people that have energy, you know, give inspiration and have like motivation behind me. And during my career, and you know, a lot of my coaches were just kind of like that, right? You, you know, and it's, just, it's like, oh, it's the science. I'm a scientist. It's like, I mean, yeah, okay, the science is the science, but like, you don't have to like treat me like a science project, right? Like you know, I'm a person. So finding someone that's got a good vibe and good energy. And, um, I think, you know, that will also lend itself to that, that person's passion behind your success, which I think is important, right? Like, you know, a lot of times, like you said, it's like, I'm doing a grand final. Like, it's like people think probably think so like, yeah, Tom Danielson, like, doesn't want to work with me. Cause like, that's boring, but like, you know, I love grand finals, right? Like, anyway, we, we, we went to the, like all the grand fondos in the beginning of the day. Like, I mean, like, it's like for me, like a race is a race, a challenge is a challenge, a goal is a goal. Like, you know, I'm passionate about personal growth, right? Like that's what fires me up. Um, so you just kind of need to find someone that says like, Hey, like I love, you know, like your vibe, right? Like that, that, that connects with me. And I feel like you're going to be like, again, to the beginning is the why is like, you're going to be in my corner. Yeah. Like you don't think my goal is stupid. You don't think my goal is low on the totem pole. Like you're like, Hey, I want to see you win. You know, what percentage of your clients are local versus like, you may never see them in person physically, except for maybe at some annual race. Is mainly everybody local to you or do you have people in, well, you said you have people in Connecticut. So how does I that say that my biggest percentage is not local, right? Just cause the country in the world's a lot bigger than Colorado, but um, you know, when we started uh, a, a large percentage, uh, w was in Colorado, but you know, the technology is cool. Like, you know, you can do a lot of coaching. And, um, I found even like with my local clients that people don't have time to like meet up every day or, you know, even if someone was my neighbor, like, it's like, well, they're training at like 5am, you know, or, or I need to train at 9pm. So, and, and I think like in general too, like cyclists, they like to do their own thing. So, you know, having a good comprehensive holistic program that has the the tools to be able to coach from afar, you know, um, is, is key to, to doing a good job in this game. So, you know, I, I built the program, so it works really well without being actually in person. Um, but yeah, I mean, in person is fun, right? Like I love it. We do camps, um, all throughout the year. We do, this year, I think we're going to do six camps. Um, and that's a good way for all of our clients to meet each other and <laughs> for us that to meet our athletes as well. And um, we get to see cool places. Like we're going to go to Italy in the fall um, for gravel world championships and do a gravel camp in Tuscany. Oh, wow. after. 
So that'll be fun. But yeah, we just got back from one Benville. We did a gravel skills camp, Benville. Then before that, we did a America camp in Spain. So a lot of clients all over the place. Um, we do. Oh, and we do a lot of cool stuff online. So we do online workouts, online classes. We do Zwift rides. We do Zwift race simulations. We do mindset workshops. We do climbing workshops. Um, we do fun music stuff. Like we're, we, we, we throw down for sure. That's awesome. So here we are, this, this huge career, right? From a kid that got into racing to raced at the highest levels to the Phoenix, right? Built his life back from the ashes, married four kids, how old are the kids? 13, 11, three and one. Oh, so you got a busy you got a busy thing going on over there. Yeah. It's crazy. That's why I'm in the basement right now. <laughs> I love it. And business is good. And um, how's your health? Like where where are you at on your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's good. Like I think um, you know, it's been a, a wild ride. Like I'm a very intense person and um, you know, when I realized like I could build a business with my brain, um I mean, that was kind of like a breakthrough moment that I think was very liberating for me. It was like, whoa, like I can make money other than like racing bikes. Like that was like crazy, right? Like I, I you know, I was like, wow, I can like come up with an idea and come up with a concept, put work behind it, sell it and make money and like it. Like that was like, you know, cause people kind of taught me like, or at least in school, I thought like jobs were bad, right? Like cycling career, good, normal work, bad. Um, but I realized that like normal work can be really fun and can be rewarding. So I kind of went berserk. So I just like blew, you know, I just, I called it like melted my brain, you know, like all day work super hard. Um, and just like kind of let go on my cycling. I think also I had a really negative relationship with cycling at first. Like I always rode with people to coach them, but I had a really hard time with like training hard because I felt like it linked to my feelings of racing and how my career ended. And so I had a lot of like scar tissue with that. And so I would like personally like avoid, um, training hard for, for, for that kind of stupid reason. Right. Um, I drank, I drank wine, you know, a, a lot. Like, and again, I I don't really, I can't really do stuff in moderation. Like, I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't like drunk all the time, but pretty much like every night, like I really love to like drink wine, get like a buzz, and be creative and work on my computer to like one a.m. Right, mm-hmm. um, and like as a dad, right, like it kind of like yeah, I had some time with my kids before that, and then I would stay up late working, and I just felt like alcohol would give me, um, I felt like alcohol would give me the same feeling as like a hard workout, right? Whereas like a relaxed and happy and free. Um, I also felt like <clears throat> I felt like crap from working all day. So in staring at computers, so I felt like it took away that crappy feeling and then gave me sort of what I would feel on my bike. And then I could continue working. So I kind of like abused it in a sense like that. Um, I didn't sleep, so I would sleep. And I prided myself on that. Like I I would do stupid stuff. Like again, like I prided myself on my dumb workouts. Like, you know, back in 
my racing days, like I would do crazy workouts that were like six, seven hour rides and so much climbing and so much threshold and so fast. And because I could, I don't think they actually made me better, but like it made me feel good. Right. Like it's like, man, I'm a badass. Like, look at that. Look how dumb that was. And like, you know, look how strong I am. Um, I did the same thing with working. It's like, look, I can go to bed at one and I can get up at five. Like I would literally like do coaching and create stuff till, um, one in the morning and then get up at five and just like get on the computer. And I would feel so bad. Like my muscles would hurt. My neck would hurt. My head would hurt. My back would hurt. You know, my hands and arms would hurt. They were just like this achy, like, you know, bad feeling. And, and, and I loved it. Right. Like, cause it, to me, it was like, well, that's work, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) that's hard work, Tom, you know, like you need to keep doing that. Like go, 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 you know? And I would just, I, I just thrived on it and, and I would get really stressed out about stuff. So, you know, one of my personalities during my racing career is I think that I had a lot of problem with anxiety and, you know, wanted to do well all the time put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself. And I think I took that into my business life, right? Where it's like, I got to do better. I've got to get, you know, I got to grow this. I got to make this better. I've got to do, create this new thing. I've got to make this person, you know, better. And this person got beat in their race. Like I have to figure out how it was. And, and like, I would go to the races with the team and with my clients. And I would sit there just so nervous the whole time because I wanted them to do well. Right. And I just like, just throttled myself in that sense. And then the last bit is like, you know, which is kind of the first bit, but I like didn't train. Like I wasn't exercising. And so, you know, I'm kind of skinny, smaller by nature. So I don't look not fit to the untrained eye, but I was in a bad spot, right? Like I, I had fat on my body all over the place. Like, you know, I, I, I was very unhealthy. Um, and I, and I honestly, I would have kept doing it had I not gotten cancer. I would have done it until I, you know, until I couldn't do it anymore. Right. And, and the second, um, I found out that I had cancer, um, I knew like that lifestyle was responsible for at least some part of it. Like, I don't really know that, like, you know, exactly the, the, all this, the details and I don't think anyone does. Right. But, but, you know, knowing myself and, and kind of understanding, like, if you kind of think about how it works and, um, seeing a lot of the studies and stuff, like the behaviors that I were doing were all the things that literally lead towards cancer, right. Or or to lead towards your ability to, to your body, to not be able to, 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 to stop it. Um, you know, and, and then, um, like the alcohol, right. Like I think, there's a lot of studies that show that, you know, that, that is related to cancer. So, um, you know, when I got that call, I freaked out like everyone does. Um, you know, I I thought I was going to die. Like, you know, I, I was completely blown away. Um, I, I went right on Google and, and researched the the cancer name and, and found out every possible bad thing that could happen told my family, which was another mistake. I, I was freaked out, right? Like I told my family I had cancer. I, I, I thought- This I is like your wife and your children? Like, Yeah, like I just had a meeting with everyone. I'm like, I'm, I have cancer, you know? Uh, and, you know, when you're first diagnosed, 
like at least my experience is 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 like nobody gives you any answers, right? Like I got a call from my surgeon that removed the the tumor to tell me it was this crazy rare form of finger cancer. I asked him. I had a I I had a uh, a camp with we had fifty people in Mallorca, um, a camp a cinch camp that that just days later, wow. and I asked him. I I remember saying I was like, can I go to this camp? You know, like. I'm shaking on the phone and he's like, well, I don't know. You know, we have to, we have to do the scans on your body. And I'm like, when can we do the scans on my body? He's like, I, I don't, not for a while, you know? And I'm like, well, I leave on, you know, on Thursday, like, you know, it's Tuesday. Uh, or I guess I left on Saturday and it was like Thursday or something like that. And, you know, he ended up rushing the scans, but the days between like, you know, finding out, that I had cancer and then, you know, going through the whole process of scanning my body. I, I mean, you, and then the knowing, you know, that I trashed my body, like, like the body that, that got the phone call that told me I had cancer is not the one that I'm supposed to have, right. It is not Tom Danielson's body. If you had given me that call during my racing career, I would be like, okay, let's beat it. You know? And, and now it's like, holy shit. Like I've been trashing my body. Like this makes sense. Like I'm screwed, you know? Um, and so I told myself, like, if these scans come back negative, like clear, like I am devoting, I'm changing my life today, you know? And, and I think if, if they came back not clear, I would have still taken the pact, right? But you know, I'm just being truthful. Like in my mind, that's, that's what I said. Like, it's like, if I have this advantage, like if I'm given this gift at this advantage of only having it in this area, like I am going to commit my life to making sure this shit never comes back. Right. Um, and so yeah, did the, the scans, got the scans back. They were clear, um, went to Mallorca and that's where I changed my life. Right. Like I changed, I stopped drinking that day. Um, I started getting eight hours, trying to get eight hours of sleep, getting eight hours of sleep. I stopped, uh, internalizing stress. Um, and I started doing my workouts and, you know, that trip in Mallorca really opened my eyes on the value of cinch because, you know, I saw like, holy crap, like all these people are doing this to stay alive. Like I'm joining them in this, this pursuit of life, right? Like a vigor of, of longevity, like of, of feeling good, of, of not having that phone call. Like I had like, you know, like saving, you know, being able to be there for my family, like all those things th th I realized like, that's, that's what I want. Right. Like, and I'm willing to make the sacrifices to get there. Right. Like I have not been good to myself and turns out I need to do things for myself to be able to do things for others. You hear it all the time, right? But like when you're in the thing, you think you're invincible. You're like, that's fine. I don't really. And it's easy, right? Like a hard day of work, like nobody wants to go get on the trainer and do a work, hard workout. But, but that high intensity, that 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 lifestyle, um, those are the things that make the difference, right? And those, and what makes cycling unique, and it really, when I started researching things, you know, types of exercise to, to, to prevent or stop cancer, you know, that VO2, that threshold is like really where a lot of the studies come around that say, hey, like that is what what does it. You you realize like, well, an older athlete, like there's not too many options to push yourself physically that hard. 
that you can break down your cells and you can break down your body, your muscle, you know, you can do things to really get that, that the regeneration, um, that, that you need, you, you know, like running and some of these other things, like they're, they're off the table, right? Like you're not going to be able to run hard enough, enough, right? Like if you're older and especially like me, where you haven't been running in 30 years, you just can't start. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I really had a wake up call with that. And, and, um, yeah, it's been a, a crazy journey since then. Like, you know, had to do a bunch more scans, a lot more fear, talk to a lot more doctors. My, my cancer is a rare cancer. Um, and so they put me in this kind of high level unit or team in, in the Anschutz Cancer Center um, and talked to a lot of different doctors until I got uh, connected with the one that I'm with now, um, Dr. Donaldson, who is amazing. He's super badass, super high level guy. And, and again, like, you know, he was a game changer for me. Um, we ended up amputating my finger and my knuckle, the middle of my hand, um, and also took out some lymph nodes um, that were connected to that middle finger where the tumor was. Um, so yeah, the the lymph nodes were clear, which was awesome. Um, I have to do scans like the normal every three months um, to make sure it hasn't spread. Uh, but the chances of it having spread um, are extremely low, so that's good. Um, and, and yeah, so just going to keep on my, li my lifestyle. Big, big change for me is obviously missing, um, my middle finger and my hand that was like, I think at the time I was very intense about it. I was like, well, this middle finger wronged me. Like I am going to kill it. Like it be <laughs> gone middle finger. Um, and yeah, just going through that whole amputation process was a lot harder than I anticipated really required everything that I've got, um, to get through it still maintaining my business and my family and, and, you know, I like to do well. So just having that high intense, um, high performance lifestyle was difficult. Um, you know, being afraid of getting something amputated and then the, the trauma after that level of surgery and then where I'm at now, where, which is like literally have, having to relearn how to use my hand. How's that going? Can you grip things yet? Can you, um, not really super well. I'm kind of in the, the, frustrating, but needing to practice what I preach with perspective face. So I I'm about six weeks out of my surgery now. So I have about another month to go before I'll be cleared to ride out on the road. But, um, my hand is out of the cast and it's doing things, but it doesn't work super well and it looks different and it is very nervy. So like the two nerves that go to my pointer finger and my middle finger, or I guess I don't have my middle finger anymore. My, my ring finger, they are on fire. Most of the time I take this medicine called gabapentin that helps, but, um, I call it the wishbone. I, I get this like gnarly pain that's in the shape of a wishbone that goes down those fingers, um, through the center where the, the, uh, amputation was. And then back up the other side. So that that's pretty gnarly. Um, I can't really use it super well. So that's, it, it just kind of feels like I have this like little thing on the end of my arm that, that doesn't really work super mm -hmm. well. Um, and then I have like this phantom limb thing where it feels like I have my middle finger, but I don't. So like when I'm typing on the computer, sometimes I'll accidentally try to use it. Um, 
you know, when I'm riding my bike on my trainer inside, like that's what hurts is my middle finger. That's not there. I have this like throbbing nerve, like crazy pain, um, that feels like well, my that, middle finger is going to explode, but it's not there. Well, that what's, what's the timeline to, for that to calm down? Yeah. So I don't, I didn't ask that question. Um, mainly because just like I said, some of the mistakes that I made in my career were due to like knowing my timeline or thinking about my timeline or, uh, you know, I have this saying and since your timelines, your timeline, and like, it, it doesn't really matter. Like what, what it ends up being is what it ends up being. And I need to focus on all the things that I can do to yeah. manage the, th the situation that I have. But back again to like perspective, like I'm alive, like I'm well, like, you know, I've made a good move here. So if I have to live with this for the rest of my life, then that's fine with me. So I, I'm assuming it's going to get better. Um, but I'm not w that worried about it. I'm just sharing with you, like, sure. you know, what it, what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah, but I can't imagine it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's wild, right? Like it's, you know, you don't really think like you use your, like I'm right-handed and I was like, oh, it's the middle finger on my left hand, like get rid of it, you know? And now I'm kind of like, whoa, I use my left hand for a lot of things. Um, and like, you know, I mean, I, I, I made a goal for myself to go to unbound, um, to be there for the team and, and kind of rushed my rehab or not my rehab, but my healing a little bit. But it was good. Like it really forced me to be in a good positive mindset um, with goals. I think that's important. Sure. But like getting there, like being there, like it kind of was one of the more frustrating moments of my experience with this because it was like, you know, everything that you want to do, you can't do, you know, like it's like, oh, let me grab the camera. Let me. And then I found myself a lot of times like really somewhat like embarrassed about the pain that I was in. Like I kind of had to hold my hand up in this weird thing oh, to like okay. mentally be able to deal with it. And I could just, I felt like people were staring at me for that. And then, you know, I, I felt like it doesn't look that good. So I felt just weird about being there in front of all these cyclists, like, you know, but, but then at the same time, like I had a lot of pride that I am alive and I beat this thing and I'm here. So like that felt good, you know? So it's, it's, it was an, it was an interesting week for sure. Um, but yeah, now I'm, I'm in, I started uh, therapy with it. Um, this, I guess it was Tuesday, got my ass kicked in therapy. Turns out like, first of all, the hand doesn't work, but then second of all, which I think is an important part of it all is that cyclists are not super um, coordinated with our hands and especially our left hand or the hand that's not our dominant hand. So I think I was struggling with a lot of the things like one, it doesn't work well. And then two, like it probably didn't work that great to begin with. Right. Like, <laughs> so who knows? Like, yeah, it's a journey. I'm, I'm, I, I signed up for it. Like I'm in, I, I'm doing my best with a winning strategy and that's all I can focus on. Dude, you're living like the life of 10 people. It's just, you've got a, very full and active journey that you're on and I, and I love it and I, I just love sharing it with you. And, oh, and wow. Thank you. No one's ever said that to me, but I like, that makes me feel good. Like, I, I feel like I do try to like live a vibrant life, you know, and saying it that way, it, it makes me feel good because it, 
Cause like, yeah, I, there, it, I do a lot of things or I, I think I would, I guess I could say I do everything because I love it. Right. Like, you know, I, I have my team because I love it. Like I'm a dad because I love it. Like I'm a husband because I love it. Like I make videos and I do our social media because I love it. Like I ride my bike because I love it. Like, you know, we have a bike shop because I love bikes. Like, you know, I wouldn't say that like the things that I do, or I, w I would definitely would not say that anything that I do is driven by like money or, you know, like success. I would say that it's all driven by passion and I like to do well. So I've made those things successful because I like doing well with the things that I like doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I think we'll end here. Are there any last messages that do you feel like we didn't touch on? Oh, I feel like I've talked all night, but yeah, I, I think that's good. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really, I don't, didn't really come into this <laughs> podcast with any sort of agenda or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, you, you hit on everything that I like to talk about bikes and I will say, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the support that, um, you guys have given us with, with the, with the, uh, pedal industries. Like I, I think, um, you know, it's kind of funny because, uh, I've been so busy with like my cancer thing and then trying to stay on top of my, so, so like when we got those bags, yeah. when we got, that was when I got, when I found out I had my tumor. Oh my so, God. yeah. So, so like I, I haven't done a really good job, like spreading the love in the team in the group with, with those. Um, but like it has spread organically and it's been fun to see like how the riders like use, like Lauren's bag is literally brown. Um, I had to ask her to take all the stuff out and wash it because she brings it <laughs> everywhere. Like it's brown. Um, I, never, I, I don't even know how, how she's made it that brown, but you know, she, <clears throat> she lives in Atlanta, Georgia most of the year. Yeah. Um, and, and so she has to actually like probably normal people. Um, she has to drive to most of her rides. And yeah. so, um, that bag, it, it, it gets packed every day and then, you know, probably plopped on the, you know, in the parking lot next to the car and then unpacked. And, um, yeah. you know, she, she has used that to the maximum for sure. And, um, but, but what's been cool too, is like at the camp that the camps that we've done, there's a lot of people that have those bags, um, that aren't cinch, uh, oh, custom ones, the, the, the bags. But, um, I, I think, I think that, that everybody loves the bag. I think, you know, we have an inside joke too <laughs> within cinch like um and i guess we can end end on this if you want but like um i i when i race like i never really planned on being in the group pedal right like i i was like i'm always going to be in the, the front um and because of that <laughs> i never so in, in in pro cycling you have a, a car one and a car two rain bag uh -huh. and, and so um like your bags, right? We have that we had rain bags. And, and so I never packed really anything in my car to bag because I, I just assumed, um, you know, I'll never need that. <laughs> like uh -huh. I, I'm always going to be car one. Like I'm always going to be, you know, GC or in the front group. I'm never going to need anything from that car, that car to bag. And, and so, um, I put like cat, like somebody at one of the races, like they came up to me and they gave me some coffee. 
Um, and so I packed the whole bag with coffee uh, <laughs> because I didn't have anywhere to put it. And they gave it to me at the race finish. It was just nice people, but I love coffee and I forgot about it. And so during the race, during the race, like, um, like one of my teammates, their shoe broke and, and they needed, they, they needed shoes. Um, and they were the same size as mine. So the director was like, Hey, I'm going to give shoes out of the car to bag of Tom. He's 42 and a half or something like that. And so they went to get the shoes out and, and, and there was coffee and there's no shoes. And they were pr- really pissed at me. And they're like, Tom, like, what the heck? Like, where, where is your, where, where is your spare shoes? Like you, you literally have coffee in that. Uh... So every time I see your bag or any rain bag for that matter, I just always think of that moment where it's just like, yeah, I'm, I, and I always have people, the, the pros, like, I, I mean, the guys on our, and girls on the cinch team, you know, I'm like, is that car, is that bag car one or car two? Like, are you uh, in the break today? Or are you in the, you know, you know and then people like make jokes and fill it up with coffee and, and give it to me. So, so anyway, love your bag. Love your, your company. Thanks. Like, everything. Back in the plug. Um, we're going to, we need to, to share with everybody so they can get, they can get a bag. Um, and listeners, of course, if you guys are listening, definitely, uh, get one of these race day bags, even if you're not a racer or even definitely if you're not a racer, they literally fit everything you could ever want in cycling, organize it. And it doesn't take up much room. Like on the plane, you could fit two or three in the carry on above. You could fit two probably at your feet. Um, they work as a backpack. You can carry it. And what I love the most is that somehow you made it so the helmets fit and the shoes fit. And they like in mine, I have actually two helmets and shoes and everything else on the outside. Supplements I have, race food, like gloves, socks, arm warmers, vests, like shorts, everything. Like it's by far the best um, cycling bag ever made. So good job for that. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it's, it. It's the truth. It's it's a, I mean, when you reached out to me too, I was like, oh, come on. How good can a bike bag be? Right. Like I've seen it all, <laughs> but there's a lot like, like creativity, like we were talking about, like you yeah. definitely use your brain in designing that. Yeah. Which, I yeah. Say that uh, a lot of bad. Yeah. Right. Well, that is a great note. And on, I really appreciate your time and loved getting into the story. And I can't wait to share this with everybody. Um, just, just a great message, Tom, and prayers and hope and everything for you on your journey thank forward. You. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Ty. I really appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thank you for the support and good chatting. Yeah. Hey, everybody. These podcasts and vlogs are new for Pedal Industries, so if you're enjoying them, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. Thanks so much. Keep challenging yourself.